Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Brad McMillan of RPM Research. Brad is the owner of RPM and is a recruiter that is specialized in the drug development research space. Brad, thanks so much for joining me. Look forward to uh, chatting today. Likewise, likewise. Thanks for having me on. A lot of veterinarians don't really understand some of the opportunities outside of just clinical medicine in practice. And so that's why I wanted to have you on, chat through what it looks like. So to kick things off, I think it would help to just provide how you work with veterinarians, the type of positions that are out there. And I think it is hard for someone to imagine some of the other opportunities and what the day-to-day life could look like. So can you kind of set the stage of how you help veterinarians work in industry and in research development? Yeah. So just a little bit more about my industry and what I work in is primarily preclinical drug development. So anything that's not in humans. And so that could be anywhere from early discovery all the way up through late stage preclinical. In order for drugs to go into the clinical stage, they need to have successful human analog trials, which the FDA dictates is animal trials for right now. Although we'll talk about the three R's a little bit, try and move some of those models more towards an in vitro space. But I work with pharmaceutical companies biopharmaceutical companies, contract manufacturing, contract research, and then also research tools companies. And within that, there's a wide variety of opportunities. And it seems like the DVM is very much the beginning and not the end. (laughs) So within the R&D space, we could start off with a clinical veterinarian. So that is providing clinical medicine to research animals. And that can go anywhere from rats and mice up through non-human primates, up through canines, sheep, pig. It just depends on what the appropriate model is. So from a large volume standpoint, that's going to be rats and mice. If you're looking at cardiac models, that could be sheep, that could be pigs. And then as far as other drug development models, depends on the route that you're taking. More small molecule drug development is within canines as an endpoint, and then large molecule development is within non-human primates, which is very applicable now in the COVID and vaccine testing, which the endpoint would be non-human primates, and also for the area of cell and gene therapy which is moving forward. So that's the closest endpoints that you see. And so clinical veterinarians could start out anywhere from coming out of their residency program. They could have a lab animal medicine residency, 
or could be prior to that and working in that clinical setting. So providing veterinary care, and that could be as far as animal health and welfare, that could be specialty surgeries, that could be a wide variety of things. And what you see is when you get into some of these positions, people can be pretty specialized in their veterinary care, or it can go very wide. And it depends on the number of clinical cases that you'll see in a day. Just for example, one position that I'm working on right now, the individual would be seeing upwards of, you know, this is an extreme case, mind you, but is seeing three to 400 animals a day, which is probably a little bit more than private practice. And like I said, that's on the extreme end, but it could be supporting drug development. It could be supporting other research tools and other research methodologies that are going in. And it also could be research for medicines for animals. And that could be for companion animals. That could be for a wide variety of other animal indications. So that's just from a clinical standpoint. And then you move up through managerial spaces through there. So it could be from a veterinarian up to a staff veterinarian, up to director level or directors of laboratory animal medicine. There are high level corporate positions in large organizations and small that require the expertise of a veterinarian and also that mindset. So one of the things that I did allude to is the three R's, and that is specifically related to research and development, talking about refining animal models, reducing animal models, and replacing animal models. So everybody is not a big fan of testing on animals, but it is required by the FDA to move these forward. So people are looking at other ways to do things and what's the number of species that we need to involve in this. So there is very much a thought and care of animal welfare when looking at this. Some of the things that they look at in addition to clinical care is also the environment, also the enrichment. You know, what are the animals able to interact with? How is that working out with them? Do they have indoor penning? Do they have outdoor penning? It just depends a lot on the species and the models. So if we start from there, then you can also move up into other areas, day clam vets, veterinary pathologists, clinical veterinary pathologists, anatomic. So there's a lot of places that a young DBM can go or somebody who has experience finding that right opportunity to move into something a little bit different, have a challenge outside of just primary practice. Yeah. Thanks for coming back and covering the three R's. I had it written down that I was going to come back to and ask you that. So I appreciate you coming back and addressing that. And yeah, the overview is there's a lot of depth behind that as far as, and a lot of it you understand far better than I do. So I'm learning as I go as well as we chat and get to know each other. But I guess what are some of the reasons if you are talking to someone that maybe isn't straight out of school or out of a residency program that goes into this, that maybe has worked clinical or more the traditional route, what's the rationale or why are they wanting to make a change? Are you having those conversations of someone that's maybe trying to dip their toe in and just interested? Can you speak to those conversations? From which way to which way? Are we talking from going from a traditional role of I'm working in practice to I want to move into maybe the R&D space or get out of seeing those patients day to day? Yeah, I mean, it typically starts a little earlier in people's careers. It's not the only way to go, but people through their advisors have their trajectory and everything's in mind. But there are 
different levels of advisors. <laughs> and they have some of their own thoughts you know, in mind as where they would prefer to put people and prefer to see people go. So I have seen individuals that wanted to move over into that lab animal medicine side and have had that interest and want to be part of the drug development, want to be part of the knowledge that this ends in affecting human outcomes. This ends in looking at drugs of disease, drugs of rare disease. They're looking to contribute in a different way is a lot of what I'm seeing when individuals are coming out. And it goes both ways. Sometimes individuals that have been in the clinical R&D space for a considerable period of time, sometimes they want maybe a slower pace and will move into private practice, things like that. So I see it going both ways at different points in people's careers. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. And one of the things that I noticed is, A, again, going back to LinkedIn, you have a good presence on LinkedIn and share a lot of information. So I'd highly encourage people to follow you. And one of the recent videos that you shared and talked about was around soft skills. And it's something that you certainly don't get going through getting your DVM through school. It's, hey, understand and have the medical knowledge, but you'll learn this other stuff down the road. And it's so important, regardless of the direction that you want to go, Can you talk about maybe some of the gaps, how people can work on their soft skills and how they can improve? Yeah. I mean, some of the soft skills are going to be effective communication. And I think now is more important than ever to start looking at a multimedia communication. That's going to be emails. That's going to be phone calls. That's going to be webinars. That's going to be recorded video. That's going to be podcasts. I mean, these things are becoming more prevalent and just being comfortable getting in front of a camera. It can make a very big difference in how you're able to present yourself. You're able to see movements of the face. You're able to see expression. Everything comes across and it's only going to happen more and more as time and technology progresses. So don't be the person that's late to the game. I feel bad about it. I only recently started doing stuff on Instagram. A couple of years late on that, But I think effective communication is going to be big, trying to get your ideas uh, succinct, concise, moving that forward. I think there's also going to be some level of interview skills that need to come up and looking at how those are changed and what styles of interviews and what is somebody actually asking? What do they mean by the question when they ask it to you? and preparing and going through that and being able to speak to your resume and being able to speak to your experience. I talk with a lot of people about this from their resume perspective. People don't really want your job description pasted on your resume. They want to find out a series of things. They want to find out a little bit what you did, but specifically how you contributed above and beyond your job description. How did you save time? save money or improve process of the organization that you're in? What were those actionable, measurable outcomes? Because they're looking at it and they understand your title. They understand where you were. They're going to maybe find a few gaps in details, but how is your experience relevant to our organization? And how is your experience relevant to our goals? So that could be the same no matter where you're going. And that's ubiquitous to all jobs and to interviewing. So that takes a certain level of communication skills and soft skills moving forward. Do you have any favorite resources, books, podcasts, things that people could explore on that topic of trying to enhance and get better at their soft skills? Anything that you encourage people to check out? 
there's a lot of things on some of the soft skills that I put together for my candidates. And there is a free resource on my website, www.rpmresearch.solutions. And just look at the additional media that's on there. And you can check out the interview preparation guide. Free to download. Check through that. It goes through a lot. It's in size document. It's probably 45 pages. That's going to be good, not only for interviewing, but also honing some of those soft skills and diving a little bit deeper into what is meant by that. And I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. That way it's easy to find and you can download that and review it at your leisure from there. One of the other questions and things that I always find interesting is just kind of what are you seeing from like job offers and benefits that are different or have changed recently? Obviously, COVID is a huge thing. Has that slowed down research? I know you kind of hinted at maybe there's some research that's kicking up because of it, but just curious what you're seeing from a job perspective there. There certainly is. And I can actually speak a little bit over to some of the private practice and stuff like that. I have another recruiting colleague that I work with in the veterinary space, and she works more in that private practice side and more in those larger organizations. People are moving fast. Offers are coming out. Offers are moving very quickly. People are getting decent sign-on bonuses. The packages are going up. Veterinarians are in high demand right now. And there's a lot of opportunities that are out there. Typically, people have three, four, five job offers that they're looking at at the same time. So it's a great place and time to be. You just need to look at geography. What are you willing to sacrifice to get those gains? Are you willing to relocate? Are you willing to relocate your family? Are you only interested in those opportunities which are within an hour of your house? But in the R&D space, I certainly see things moving forward. Veterinarians are in short supply. They are having trouble keeping people for extended periods of time. You have a decent population that is retiring. And people are looking at that kind of sweet spot of skills between that three to five years for almost some of those entry or lower level positions. And there's few opportunities that I see that are willing to give people that chance to jump the broom, to move over from that private practice over into clinical research. So you've got to keep your eyes and ears open for those right positions, for those right times, where those right skills come in. Some people are open and willing to train and have the capacity. Other people are looking for that specific lock and key fit. Makes sense. And thinking through that and understanding, how do you best work with a recruiter? I mean, do I talk when I'm ready to make a decision? Do you build that relationship longer? I know we've kind of had that conversation already, <laughs> but I think it always helps. Like if I'm sitting here and I'm third or fourth year in school, thinking about what I'm going to do when I get out or even unhappy in a current position, like when do I engage and how do I do that? How do I best interact? Well, that's a good question. When do you talk to a lawyer? You talk to a lawyer only when you have a problem and then you reach out to them and you're scrambling to find and build a relationship with somebody that you trust and know, or you just dial in somebody out of the phone book because you need somebody immediately. It's better to have built that relationship and talk to somebody who is an industry expert, who is an industry professional. We are professionals in moving people around, in looking at different career opportunities, in having some of those career discussions. So I don't think it's too early to have those conversations with a recruiter and you know can offer some guidance. At that same time, also be respectful of a recruiter's time. So a recruiter is only paid by the 
client company. You don't pay to work with a recruiter. It's free, but be respectful of that time and that it is free. But we would be looking to build those relationships so that when the right opportunity, when the right time, when all of that comes together, then we can have that relationship. We can have that dossier as far as your background, what you're looking for, what you're not looking for. It shortens the time to connect on that right opportunity. So I would say definitely reach out to other recruiters that work specifically within this space. If you reach out when you need it, it's too late. And then you're scrambling and, well, do you have any information? What about this week? What about today? What about tomorrow? Did they get back to you? Did they? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Even with a recruiter who can accelerate the process, it does take some time. It does take a while. Yeah. And I think it also helps to have conversations early on and set expectations for what's the right fit and knowing when, yeah, we can move things along and when it's like, oh, yeah, you might think that job sounds really interesting, but it wouldn't be the right fit for you long-term knowing you from a right. personality perspective or skill set. There was one example. There was an individual that I had known and was aware of, and we had a relationship on LinkedIn and conversations going back about five years. And then it just happened to be the right opportunity. He was in the right geography. He wanted a management position, but would have to relocate for the management position. He was right there in the space and you know was able to connect with him. So it just depends on the opportunity and on the timing. And just speaking of geography and kind of where opportunities are, is there anywhere where it's concentrated in other certain areas of the country that are probably more prevalent to have these opportunities versus not? So let's just say rural Indiana, where I grew up, not a great location for R&D. Is there anything around that? I guess I would think East Coast, like Boston, I think of pharma up there, but I don't know if that's the right area. You're going to see a lot of different spaces. I mean, you're going to see the New England space, Boston's big, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Maryland's pretty big. Then you're going to see San Diego, San Francisco, Washington State. If you're looking at medical devices, you're looking in the Midwest, in the Michigan, Wisconsin, that type area. Chicago is big as well. And then from another perspective, if you're looking at something like non-human primates, well, they like warm weather. So you got to go to where they are. So that's going to be a lot of New Mexico, Texas, Florida. So it depends on exactly what you're looking for. But those are going to be some of the main concentration hubs in the United States. And that's the majority of where I work and where I've scheduled my practice. Got it. Thanks for sharing. And you talked about a great success story that you had as far as building a relationship with someone over five years. You want to share maybe some other examples or stories or case studies of kind of how you've work with someone or what the ultimate opportunity is. Again, as much as you're able to share, knowing that a lot of the stuff that you do is super confidential, but I think it would just help kind of show how all the pieces come together. Yeah. I mean, it's not every recruiter, but there are other recruiters out there that are just willing to help and also work within other internal recruiter networks. So I actually recruit recruiters into my own network and join some of their networks just because I may not have the position at that time that somebody is looking for. But you know what? who would be a good fit? Jim Simpson. Jim Simpson's working on some of those things right now. Let me make that introduction over there. And so we're willing and happy to make some of those cross-references over to other people, over to other industry experts. But there's people that I've known for seven, eight years. There's other people that I've known for the first time. We met in March, got them a position in June. So it's better to have those longer relationships. And I'm working with an individual now. I placed him four years ago, 
and he's progressed and moved on with his career and there's other opportunities. And we discussed in a networking capacity and it happened to be that he was interested in that position as well. Now he's in process and being considered for an opportunity. And that would have never happened if he would have not been open to having the conversation four and a half years ago when we started moving things along. And it really is a conversation and it's networking and it's gaining experience and understanding in your specific industry. And then also they're trying to gain experience and understanding from your background, from what you've been able to figure out. Recruiters are very much in the market and want to find out, you know, more of the latest and data is up to date and what's the trends and things like that. When we gather those by additional data points and those data points are phone calls that we're having on a continual basis. Yeah. Any trends that stick out, I guess, saying that, is there anything that surprised you recently? And I know we've talked a little bit about how people are in high demand, which would be a little surprising if you open up the Wall Street Journal or turn on the TV. <laughs> you wouldn't think it'd be a great time to be going and looking for a job. But any other any it trends? on the industry segment that you're looking at. If you're just looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's going to look very doom and gloom. But you have to drill down into your industry and maybe not look at what the news is saying. That's a very broad scope versus some of those specifics. But I've seen at least in the R&D realm, people have been shifting around a good bit, even during some of this COVID. So you're seeing movement, but you're also seeing from other people hesitations in relocating or traveling to you know on-site interviews seeing people broadening their experience or there's an increased interest in people with multi-species experience. But people are giving other opportunities and shots in people that don't necessarily have all of that experience, but a lot of it is relatable. If you're working with one species that can relate to another, if you've worked with two, then you're more than likely to work with four down the road. And then people figure out what they like to work with and why they like to work with them. And I think the only way you get that is looking at a wide variety of experience. So I think the people that are in school and in residencies get as much experience as you can. That could be working with marine life. That could be working in a zoo. That could be working in private practice. That could be working in R&D. Could be a lot of different spaces, but expose yourself as much as you can when you're younger. And then you can narrow that focus down as your experience grows. But just because you've picked one specific area and one specific track, it's not always too late to switch. Perfect. In thinking through, and this is a question I ask everybody and I always enjoy hearing answers. So Everyone has kind of like soapbox topics that they're like, man, I really wish someone knew this and maybe haven't asked the question quite the right way to get it out of you. What's a soapbox topic? If you could speak to all the veterinarians out there and say, you know, from a recruiter's perspective, I wish you understood this better. I mean, from a recruiting perspective, if you are trying to find people or be found, I don't see a ton of people on the social media. I don't see as many people on LinkedIn. I find a lot of people off-site and stuff like that. And there's not always enough information to be found. The more information that you put out there, the easier it is to find people and to be found. So putting some of those things that we talked about, how you save time, how you've saved money, how you've improved process, what are some of the things that you're interested in? What are some of your accomplishments? Put those out there and then more people are going to be able to find you. Too many people are finding you? Well, Change your notifications. 
(laughs) (laughs) But be open to connecting with more people and be open to a broader worldview. And that's going to come through different connections. And you see some different things in your, just specifically talk about LinkedIn, you'll see different things in your LinkedIn feed. Find some of those interests, those special interest groups, people that are in a wide variety of interests and topics. It's not a bad thing to have over 500 connections <laughs> on LinkedIn. So just be open. The more open you are, the more opportunities that are going to come your way. They're not always going to be exactly what you're looking for, but oftentimes it's the most connected person that gets to move forward. Great advice. And as we wrap up, for those that are interested, want to learn more about you, obviously connect on LinkedIn, but uh, where would you send them to learn more and understand about what you do and talk more? Yeah, I've put a good bit more information on my website, www.rpmresearch.solutions. And there's information on there both for candidates and also for hiring managers that's geared there. But I would also encourage some of the candidates or people that are interested, check out what hiring managers are looking for in that RPM research process guide. You can kind of look behind the scenes. If you've never been a hiring manager, look at what their thoughts are, look at some of their pains and their problems and identify that and make that more relatable. And those are certainly free resources that are out there. Perfect. Brad, thanks for coming on, for sharing your knowledge and talking about a topic that I haven't explored yet on the podcast and really, really appreciate the time. All right. Well, fantastic. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.